Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Say Who, Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Uh, I have I have a clarification from last week's episode, Danny. Really? I did we, not. We messed uh, something up? I don't think I messed it up. I don't remember what I said. I couldn't remember um, if there were more than the two squirrel bridges in Longview. Uh, as as you may know, if you listened to the last episode, we we discussed the uh, the architectural design of of the Nutty Narrows Bridge in in my hometown of Longview, Washington, that allows the squirrels to navigate a busy street. Um, my mom texted me, avid listener, thanks, mom, to let me know that there were there are eight squirrel bridges in Longview now, and they are revealing the location of a ninth at this year's Squirrel Fest on August nineteenth. <laughs> They're almost what? to double digits. Why why does Longview feel the need to cater to squirrels to this extent? Cuz there's a lot of them. <laughs> I mean that like that's, that's the only response, right? That used to there I remember was... when when I was in in college that was a thing. Um there were a lot of jokes and like letters to the editor and stuff about the squirrels like taking over Red Square. Yeah. Well, you really had to worry about the the quad or up by Parrington Hall. Is that the one that's on the hill? Like Parrington and Denny? Mm-hmm. That are the older ones? Like, those things were would just run rampant through there. I think there were, there were annually, like, at least a couple write-in votes for um, campus squirrels as ASU dub president. <laughs> <laughs> They're varmints, aren't they? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that gets classified. I believe they they are technically classified as as varmints. Well, no, I don't know. Most varmints don't get bridges built for them. You know. I know. That's why I'm wondering. Like, why are you guys coddling the squirrels? They uh, they have some influence. It goes back. <laughs> it goes back generations. Uh, well, we don't have a squirrel bridge coming out of the tunnel, but we do have football players. Should we Should we hear them so we can get going? Let's do it. Pod. Pod. Something, something. Pod. Something, something. <laughs> Wait, did someone actually complain? I thought you said someone did last week. Uh, no, I don't think someone did. I think it was the opposite. They were saying that um, that I should deadpan it over it. <laughs> When they, said, when they said don't but don't worry don't worry about you know don't worry that that'll actually make the swear more prominent um because of kids in the car because i i listen to my rap music with them anyway so is it is it possible to deadpan that word oh yeah like can you say it with no emotion um i mean there i'm you could uh, you could ask you know, we we could just like type it into one of those computer programs that uh, <laughs> we used to do that. We, we used to do that like in high school. I forget what the program is. There's a super basic um, text to voice program on PCs that's been around forever and ever. And we would call our friends using that. Um, and some of the mispronunciations that it would have for like basic words just made it way funnier. Of course. That's the one advantage we have. Like, it's a diminishing hope now with AI that we, like, humans can actually differentiate. And I don't know if a human being can truly say that without emotion. So, have you thought about this at all? I, I see these stories that pop up of like um, somebody used AI to simulate a girl's voice and called her mom, like, as the girl saying she was, you know, either being held hostage or in trouble and needed a bunch of money sent to have her released. And yeah, she was totally fine. I've thought about like how much, how much of my voice I've put out into the world for, for culling by uh, these, these AI programs. It would not be like, it would not be difficult to simulate my voice or, or especially your voice with as long as you were on, on the radio. Yeah. Three hours a day for eight and a half years. I just say just about anything. Yeah. I used to kind of worry about like have a shredder and worry about like identity theft or try to consider those sort of things. I basically just assume every piece of information is totally public now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I, I, I just assume it. So like that's very possible that it would be an easy target or I would be an easy target for that sort of thing. Like the first thing I'd be, I think my own 
lack of success is the best defense. Like if you were going to go to that a length of trouble, like you would find someone more successful than me because like the payoff just isn't going to be worth it. Like what would you get access to all my bank accounts? Like, okay. (laughs) That's where, that's where the like simulating a voice thing could be kind of sinister. Right. Cause like if my, if someone I was really close with got a call from a sophisticated a, you know, a, a person operating a sophisticated AI program simulating my voice saying I was in trouble, like, I'm not a famous person, so whoever oh. whoever answers that call might be like, oh, what oh, reason I do understand. I have to think that this is fake? Whereas, like, if you're super high profile, you know, if, if you're uh, a, a TV, you know, a national TV anchor or... You know, someone, uh, uh, a Mary Louise Kelly NPR type who's, you know, nationwide, everybody knows who you are. You know, you might think like, eh, this kind of seems like a hoax, you know? Okay, I see. I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize you were saying it was being used as kind of the the edge of the knife to to, to twist and try and extort it. And they'd have a problem because nobody I'm related to or knows me would be willing to give up all that much to get me back. Or they would just assume that I would talk so much that they would eventually let me go because they their ears were starting to hurt. That's probably the most realistic. I God help anybody who took me hostage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean grandma. it, man. There is one of one of my it's I love my mom. Um and one of the stories that she she tells and she she forever felt bad about this. She was making orange juice. And growing up in Klamath Falls, orange juice was not freshly squeezed. It was made from concentrate. So you squeeze the concentrate out of the little tube and you fill up three mm. of the tubes worth of water to put it in there. And I was just sitting there. Burp, 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 burp. What do you do? Can I have some orange juice? Burp, 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 burp. And she went one, two, and three went right on my head. Just dumped it right on my head. And she said, I don't remember it at all. And she said, I just sat there and gasped like, (gasps) and was just shocked, but it shut me up. And she always felt like it was this, she was a bad mother. She goes, it's just evidence I was a bad mother. And I was like, no, I think everybody's had that inclination. If they've spent any amount of time around me, like you're a patron saint for them. Like you showed them the way to shut me up. Did she, she, she poured a third one into the pitcher, though, and finished it, right? I think so. I assume okay. so. So you got your orange juice. Who knows? At that point, I might have been so shocked or chastened that I forgot all about the orange juice. Well, it sounds I, like she I don't felt, really. I don't really know. It sounds like she felt really bad. You might have got like you might have got something else out of the deal too. You know. <laughs> I do kind of like the idea of like my mom just at wit's end, like of just like nothing will shut this kid up. Sploosh! <laughs> that did it. I was going to say my my grandma who's 90 years old now gets calls and I don't know if these still happen but I think about it with the AI thing. She gets calls from random dudes who are like, "Oh, you know, grandma, it's me." And you're hoping that th- that they're going to get an elderly person who is who is confused. I mean, it's mm-hmm. super predatory. Um like actually infuriating, honestly. And she, you know, she's she can't be tricked by that kind of thing, so she just asks them their name and they can either hang up right away or struggle for a name, and um, she gives it. She gives it back to them. She has no tolerance for that. And I tell her, like, Grandma, if I need money, like, I there's there's a bunch more people on the list first before I'm I'm gonna call Grandma and ask ask to send me money. So you can be assured <laughs> it's not me. At least. I'm not I'm not her only grandchild. But uh, I I think about that with AI. Like, man, you you get you get someone who's who's elderly and and isn't as up on the technological side of things and it's their grandchild's voice on the other yeah. end legit them asking you know that stuff yeah. uh, there's some sinister folks out there so yeah. i don't know i think i think about that stuff a lot and i, I do i it's also kind of funny you know like back in the day when kids would make prank phone calls, you know, before caller ID and stuff. And that was kind of, there were some TV shows that spun off of maybe the idea of prank phone calls. One of Howard Stern's most popular segments is the phony phone calls. Nowadays, the, the marks call you. Yes. Because, because spam calls are so prevalent now that if you're going to prank someone on the phone, it's you picking up a call from a person who you can, mess with 100% guilt-free 
because they're trying to scam you out of money. Yep. So I, I, I do, I, I participate in that every now and then. <laughs> I had a guy, I had a guy call me the other day. Um, and this was a, I'll give, this was a, a, a valid effort on, on his part because he, he told me that a package that had been delivered to me had been seized at the port of Baltimore and it had cocaine and heroin in it. The and wire said, that's season yeah. two of the wire. Yeah. And I said, Oh no. Well, who are you? And he, he gave me the name of the name of like a way too high ranking officer in the, in the, the, whatever the it was Baltimore PD or the port authority over there or something. He gave me the name of like the top guy and his actual badge number, which I'm like, that's a good touch because if someone's skeptical of this call, they're going to be sitting here, they're going to Google it and they're going to see that this person exists. But unfortunately you gave me the name of a guy who's never going to be the one making the phone calls on this investigation. Right. <laughs> and like it, it, you know, it, Clearly, clearly was, I mean, obviously, and I knew I didn't have a package of cocaine and heroin coming to me that day. So um, I, I knew it was a scam, but I went, I, I had him going for a little while. What, what was he trying to get out of you? I, I didn't get that far. He hung up after I kept asking him what cocaine was, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I assume he was trying to get the, the call was like, oh, you could be in some big trouble. He probably was working up to asking for some sort of social security number or probably, you know, probably a bank account or just, hey, if, you know, we, we've we decided if you pay this much to us in a fine, you know, we'll let it go type of thing. That would be my assumption. But that was a little, that was more sophisticated than the, than the usual. Before we get to college football, have you heard the connection between the Washington commander's sale and stolen war loot in the Philippines? I, I haven't, no. It's a pretty good one. I need to pay closer attention. Pretty good one. Uh, Brian Davis is a man some sports fans will remember. He was a Duke basketball player. Um, fairly prominent on the Christian Leitner, Grant Hill era teams. And the last time I heard Brian Davis's name was with regard to a purchase of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think this is, it's like 2008, 2009, he was buying it from a guy, I think his last name is Heisley or Helmsley. I think it's Heisley. I think it's Michael Heisley he was buying it from. But there was there were stories that like they reached an agreement. He was going to buy the Grizzlies. It was like $300 million. There were stories about Brian Davis and his connection to Leitner and all of this. And then about a month later, it was like the sales been nullified. Brian Davis did not have the money to buy this team. And like the, the takeaway was, Man, you can get pretty far into the purchase of a $300 million asset without actually having the cash, which just told me like how strangely financed these acquisitions could be. Fast forward to this week. The same Brian Davis, not the former Sonics commentator who I believe went to Oklahoma City and not the guy who was at one point a Seahawks cornerback, Brian Davis, the former Duke basketball player, is suing Bank of America for $500 billion. And the reason he's suing Bank of America for $500 billion is he says that Bank of America, which was hired to oversee the sale of the Washington commanders, the Washington football team, did not take his bid seriously. And it's alleging all sorts of antitrust and, hey, you can't do this. So it's a $500 billion suit. As evidence in that, he submitted two checks, two B of A checks, like bank drafts showing that he had been, he had $5.1 billion. And his entire case is, look, I showed I had the money. And you, and you guys didn't even communicate my bid to Daniel Snyder. Like it was a restraint of fair trade. Like this is illegal. So he's suing him. Somebody, Daniel Wallach, who you can find on, uh, on, on Twitter, looked into the name on those bank drafts that were given. And it, it connects back to this very strange fellow who was a CIA operative who was reputed to have found something referred to as Yamashita's gold. Yamashita's gold was the collection of stolen war loot from the Japanese Imperial Army. Yamashita was one of the most feared, treacherous, and ruthless generals of the Japanese Imperial Army. 
there is a myth or a legend or perhaps a true story that has inspired like generations of treasure hunters that as Japan was about to lose the war in 1945, Yamashita and another officer in the Japanese army buried like billions upon billions of dollars of gold and other treasures in some elaborate tunnel system in the Philippines. Well, this guy, whose his last name is Santos, who was a CIA operative, is reputed to have found part of that. However, there's a huge amount of controversy over exactly how he got it. And at one point, Ferdinand Marcos, who became the dictator of the Philippines, he was this guy's attorney. He had all of the money signed over to him as some power of attorney. Like, it is an insane story. Santos is dead now. Like, and his wife's dead. It's an estate. And apparently there's an estate with $5.1 billion, at least in it, that was signed over to Brian Davis, who then said, look, I'm going to use this to buy the commanders. <laughs> and, and Bank of America looked at it and was like, yeah, nah, we're, <laughs> this, this seems all a little hinky. Like, we're not, not, we're not going to take this seriously from the guy who... 15 years ago, didn't even have enough money to buy the Memphis Grizzlies. We're, thanks, but no thanks. So he's suing him for $500 billion. But it's like only, only the watch. It is, perhaps it's the it, it's a more honorable way to go about acquiring the franchise than what Daniel Snyder was practicing of to use stolen war loot. But yeah, it's a pretty funny story. I'm picturing um, Nicolas Cage like working as an usher at their stadium. <laughs> And he gets this look on his face in like one of the opening scenes, like when he when he hears that that they're gonna have to sell the team, and he's like, "We're gonna find Yamashita's gold, <laughs> and we're gonna buy the Washington Commanders." And his ah. friends are like, "Oh, that sounds that sounds crazy, man!" National Treasure Three. <laughs> yeah, I told my sister or my my wife last night about the about Yamashita's gold, and she goes, "Why can't that be the next Indiana Jones movie?" Instead, we got the stupid-ass Dial of Destiny, which I saw the preview for it. I don't know if I can get back on with Indiana Jones. Uh, It's going to be hard. Like, the last one, and I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. The last one, like, the upshot was that it was, like, aliens that had come down and, like, their treasure was knowledge. Like, it was some corny, stupid stuff. Like, I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know if they're going to trick me. Now, I did just pay to see the Fast and Furious 10, which sucked. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but th- that might be a bridge too far even for me. I'm a shameless Fast and Furious 10. That was a, that was a terrible Fast and Furious movie. Wow. They've lost their nerve. They've lost their edge. That's, I believe I watched the trailer for that. Um, is there they're they're flying over canyons and and hitching on to helicopters maybe that's nine well i mean the hitching on to helicopters doesn't narrow it down but (laughs) that sounds like that sounds like 10 like but there there weren't any good car chases the main one was the at the beginning was corny and vin diesel (sighs) vin diesel a, he doesn't drive enough. I just want to see him drive. Like, I don't want to hear him talk about family. It it took itself, like, so seriously, it wasn't fun. Like, that's, it's not a fun movie anymore. It used to be fun. The the next Indiana Jones is going to be, like, some some student coming to to Indiana and being like, Professor, my, my buddy's got $3 billion in Bitcoin in his account that he bought 15 years ago, but... <laughs> He can't remember his password. We got to find it. And he's like, what the hell is Bitcoin? <laughs> I don't have a great transition to watch. Yeah, there is no great transition. From <laughs> yeah, I, I backed us into a corner there. We are going to make a clean break. And now we'll talk about something else. Wazoo Athletics is in some financial trouble. I saw this. Was it Brett McMurphy? Or did, did Wazoo have an announcement on Monday night? Wazoo I think I woke up. Like, like 12 hours before um, some national reporters finally found it and shared it on Twitter. But that was, that was, you know, as, as happens in our media ecosystem these days, that was what got it going around, but it was announced that morning. Yeah. Oh, when I saw it, I got a pit in the bottom of my stomach and I'll like, I definitely am the person who is really afraid 
of the other shoe dropping because it immediately jumped to, does this mean that the Pac-12, their next rights deal has collapsed? Like I went to a real doomsday scenario of Wazoo is doing this because they know that Washington and Oregon aren't going to sign the grant of rights that they need to, to consummate the next broadcast deal. That would be, um, I mean, it's an interesting thought. It would be counter to everything Kirk Schultz has said publicly, like even in recent yes. weeks. But, you know, people say things, right? I think we all know that the details behind the scenes uh, very rarely align with what's what's being said publicly, even if that's what we have to go on. Um, I think it's it's probably more closely related to the recent board of, or excuse me, well, the recent Pac-12 board of directors meeting. Um, among the presidents and chancellors, which was held in Seattle uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and, and probably the presidents learning at that meeting what the what the tab is going to be for the Comcast overpayments, and also John Canzano reported this at johnconzano dot com that that number um, is going to end up being about five point seven million dollars per school, which is a much like I think a, what I know of Washington's budget. That's sizable. That's not nothing. I mean, we all know the impact that Jimmy Lake's buyout is having on the University of Washington right now. Mike Hopkins. 3.2, 3.3 million. And so 5.7 now, that 5.7 doesn't necessarily like have to be paid or withheld as a lump sum, I wouldn't imagine. There, I would guess, and I don't know this, but I would guess that there's probably some flexibility to spread that over multiple fiscal years and... You know, it's not necessarily a check that's like, okay, five, five, five point seven mil per school right now. Let's see it. But um, Wazoo Athletics has battled insolvency for some time now. Um, they took on a lot of debt to upgrade their facilities, to build a premium seating structure, a new press box that debuted in 2012, um, and, and then a, a brand new football operations facility that they finished a couple years later. And those were needed upgrades but they cost a lot of money and you know when when UW remodeled Husky Stadium they didn't have that money they took out loans they took out bonds uh, nobody's got the money on hand when you take on these huge facilities projects and you just you hope that you're in a position to be able to pay them off over time while maintaining a balanced budget that's been a struggle at Washington State obviously you know they are they're in the bottom tier of the conference the bottom tier of the power five when it comes to annual revenues their stadium seats, you know, 30-some thousand, so their their gate revenue was always going to be limited. It was a really big deal for them to, um, when Bill Moose advocated when the Pac-12 expanded for, for equal revenue sharing, right? Because yep. for the longest time, the L.A. schools were taking a bigger cut. So that helped them. Um, that, that brought them a little closer to equal footing. But as we know, with dollars and cents in college football, it's never going to be equal it's always going to be harder for Wazoo. It's been harder for Wazoo, and so a number like this coming due. And also, I was reading Coog fan story on it. Kind of, kind of ignored by national media in that statement was that they also discovered like insufficient accounting in their athletic department, and their CFO had to resign. So that's that's the Pac-12 or Wazoo. Oh, no, that's Waz- That's Wazoo. Oh. So, and I don't know if he was, let me, let me find the exact language. So I'm not messing it up here. Um, yes, uh, their, their CFO tendered his resignation in April and WSU accepted. So that's per, per kookfan.com. Um, that tells you that there were some issues internally there too. So it's kind of a perfect storm. And I don't know, like the easy clean narrative is, oh, this is this is the canary in the coal mine, right? right? Wazoo is the first school to enact, you know, major of a hiring freeze, cutting non-essential travel. The other thing to keep in mind too, like when schools announce stuff like this, just as with COVID, you know, during COVID, basically every school. I mean, this is what this reminds me of a COVID budget cut. This that, that the the announcement reminds me of a lot of schools' announcements during COVID. Um, you you make these cuts and you. You trim expenses wherever you see fit to trim them so that you can continue giving football everything it needs. Yeah. This is not like, 
oh, I guess I guess the football coaches just aren't going to be able to go on the road recruiting as much now. Like, no, this is you, your your number one priority is always investing in football, whatever you need to invest to to maintain the standard there. And then, okay, what other cuts need to come? And that's not that, that's me reading between the lines. That's not obviously in this announcement or articulated by the school. Just to be very clear about that, but. Um, I like I my Wazoo buddies are like so what if a what if a coach leaves there's a hiring freeze they just can't rip, like <laughs> no they're not gonna they're not gonna roll into the season with nine assistant coaches like they'll replace the you know they'll replace the receivers coach if he leaves like that's not what hiring freeze means it also is a cattle prod to stimulate contributions I mean that's that's a reality of it too of to mm-hmm. to make it clear how serious the shortfall is. Um, I'm glad in some respects that this is more localized as opposed to, oh, this is a sign of what's what's coming down the pike with regard to the the media rights that it's just not going to measure up to what people had been had been hope had been planning on because this isn't even this is more about a couple of specific accounting mistakes that have had huge consequences for schools and and people still coming out of it. I I did wonder because there's a there was a part of me also I think I made pretty clear last week how I feel about Washington staying tied to Washington state and and I don't feel differently about that. But there is sort of this part of self-interest where in hearing that where I was like Maybe they're just maybe Wazoo just isn't going to be capable of of even maintaining at the same level. That it's not a case of hey, I I don't want Washington to go to the Big Ten and leave the Cougs behind, but it's it's a question of in a in an adjusted world order, can the Cougs and Washington long term stay in the same conference? Can they play at the same level of competition? And I'm not saying that as the it sounds like the typical arrogant husky and what was the idiot Woodward's like the Cougs are frankly one of the have nots. Like I, I don't, I hate that idea, but there, but there is sort of some uncertainty about, I wonder about what is going to be the future for a school like Wazoo, not just Wazoo specifically, but for a school like Wazoo, that's a solid, like they shouldn't, if you read a description of where the school is and kind of some of the different specs, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's a Power 5 program. But I consider Wazoo to be a totally competent, good, like, they. Th- there's not any doubt in my mind about whether or not they should be a Power 5 school. Like, they do. They, they compete. They've gone to Rose Bowls. Like, they've, they've had great players that have come out of there. And, and I do wonder w- whether there are going to be some schools that end up kind of falling off a cliff here as things get rearranged yeah i mean throughout the covid year and wazoo hasn't missed a bowl since 2014 i will say you you mentioned that an announcement like the one wazoo made is is a little bit of a you know a little bit of a cattle prod for donors i i'm looking at two different sides of this because it's not i don't want to i don't want to be the one who says this is nothing to worry about from a media rights perspective because they have their own internal accounting issues. I think that probably accelerates things for them and accelerates mm-hmm. the urgency for, you know, instituting a hiring freeze and all these things. But I also think it's easy for Kirk Schultz and any conference president and any athletic director to point to mistakes made by Larry Scott. <laughs> While explaining to your constituents that, hey, our budget's in disarray and we need to do this, this, and this, and and making the Comcast thing the headline, because yeah. that turns everybody to throw stones at, and <laughs> I'm not here to defend Larry Scott by any means. But I think that that's a really easy thing to do while knowing that there's a little bit more to the story here. That's funny. Because you're right about that. We're almost at the statue of limitations where like you've probably got another couple months to throw all the rocks you want at Larry Scott and then that then that opportunity's done, right? He'll just be a guy we hate forever, but 
he's now someone that's in the past and we've got to move on. But you still you still can right now, right? Because the Comcast News has they've just decided how to deal with it and everything about this new media rights agreement is going to be contrasted with what Larry Scott did, both in building the Pac-12 network, failing to get it on 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 DirecTV, like all of those things. You're you're about at the end of it. As you were saying it, I was also like, do you mean to tell me that big multi-million dollar companies sometimes take advantage of circumstances to, I don't know, perpetrate layoffs and point to a general overall economic downturn when they're really not suffering as bad, but they, they feel that people will buy it a little more right now? Like, do, you, do you think that really happens in America? Like, no, you don't really think like tech companies would do that, do you? <laughs> ESPN about to have layoffs right before announcing like big massive spends on something like the Pat McAfee show. Yeah, uh, one one tech company does it, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. Um, At least I, they're just, not talking it, about it as belt tightening. <laughs> like that's, well, one of, that's one of the worst. I did see the term tremendous headwinds. In <laughs> so, in fact. I'm just here. I, I don't have the link in front of me, so to access it, I'm going to Google WSU Athletics headwinds. Oh, and there it is, headwinds. Oh, it sucks because it's it's not the people who make the big money who who feel these cuts. No, it's it's always lower level staffers who are overworked and underpaid and just trying to scratch out. You know, trying to climb the ladder trying to have a career in college athletics. And those are the positions that get cut. Those are the positions where when someone leaves, that's where the hiring freeze kicks in. They don't get replaced. So their workload, which is already more than it should be for what they're getting paid, gets dumped on someone else who's not already not getting paid enough to shoulder their own workload. And um, it just ends up like, and I'm not saying that like administrators are heartless and, and don't feel it too. Um, you know, it's not easy for anybody, but I just, I see those type of announcements and it's like, you know, we all think about the football program and what does it mean for the, the budget and what does it mean for whether their football team is going to be able to be competitive going forward? What does it mean for their conference affiliation? What it means is a, a lot of people who already, um, were, were kind of scratching and clawing to, to make the living that they want and to, to climb the ladder in the career of college athletics are going to be out of a job or their job is going to be way harder than it already is, which is already really hard for, for what they're being compensated. So that's, that's always what these cuts mean in college athletics, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because it does sort of make me turn my head a little bit to acknowledge what's really happening here, as opposed to what I feel is happening here, which my feelings end up being affected mostly by by football and feeling like, Oh, what does this mean for, for football and to a lesser extent men's and women's basketball, but to remember what it actually is, which is it is about a college athletic department and the effects are always more pronounced farther down the food chain and sort of looking at it only as it affects football while understandable is a pretty short sighted and kind of self important way to see it. Um, if 5.7 million and, and assuming that that is the crux of this announcement for Washington state, if 5.7 million is enough of a, a blow to their budget. And that's the number that John Canzano reported that, that they feel like they have to make an announcement like this. Um, it's got me kind of thinking about what it means for Washington. And I think I'm going to write a, a little bit about this today because it's, it, it would be easy to say, well, you know, Wazoo is a lower budget team, a lower revenue team, you know, that they're going to feel it more. And I think that's true. But the University of Washington is this, this school that has, you know, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but roughly $140 million or so athletics budget. And so you, you think about these relatively smaller sums, like 2 million here, 3 million there. Um, you know, Jimmy Lake's buy excuse me, Jimmy Lake's buyout is up to whatever it is, 3.3 million now. And you don't think of that as being like 
a massive cut of that overall, but man, it is. And it's that number is impacting them in a big way right now. Um, you know, I think we've talked plenty about how if you if you follow the basketball program, there's probably a reason they can't make a change at head coach right now, and that's that's a factor. So you throw, you mean you talk about five point seven million compared to that number? That's a that's a big deal. And again, it's you know, are we talking about a lump sum? Are we talking about two different fiscal years? Is that at you know, is it going to end up at that number? Could it get knocked down? Could there be some creative solutions? Who knows? But um, the third factor. That I, that I keep thinking about is pre-pandemic, the budget that they presented to the Board of Regents, I want to say in spring 2019, maybe, accounted for uh, a much larger media rights payment post-2024, because why wouldn't it have been, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about the same 12 teams negotiating a contract that's now 12 years old. Obviously, they're going to get much more. Who would have guessed USC and UCLA wouldn't be part of that? They restructured their their Husky Stadium debt payments with the idea that they could pay less now, as in less in 2019, 2020, 2021, as they kind of try to balance their budget, and then a little bit more in future years down the road once those media rights payments increased. And I forget what the numbers were. I could go back and look, and it'll probably be in the column that I'm that I wrote on Wednesday and writing now. Um, there's, there's just, a, there's a number of factors that make me wonder like how they're going to balance all of that. And it's kind of boring, wonky stuff, but it matters. And at a certain point, like is somebody at the university of Washington and schools like it going to look at the athletics budget and say, without a, you know, an X dollar, an X million dollar payment from the media, from this next media rights deal. I just don't see how the athletic department is going to continue on business as usual without something drastic happening in one direction or another. So I don't know. I think that's, I think there's a lot of questions to answer there. Maybe the, you know, maybe everything around this is, is just noise. They get it done. The number is, you know, whatever the number is, we know they're going to be in last place among power five conferences, but maybe it'll be sufficient that they'll be able to, to scrape and claw and get by. But, um, there's a, there, there's, there's a, there's an element to the wazoo stuff. That's like, well, this isn't the whole picture. It's not as clean and easy as just, Oh, look, look, they're struggling because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And this is the canary in the coal mine. But in some ways it, it, it kind of might be. Well, I did see that the Pac-12 has come up with some new and exciting um, broadcast initiatives that it's going to be trying in the upcoming season. Some some different in-game interviews, different camera angles. So I'm assuming that that's going to entirely offset all of all of these financial concerns. That the 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 initiative that they're showing with this, the groundbreaking ingenuity that's on display here, will clearly make up for any budget deficits that they're experiencing. Yeah, look, ESPN might not think that the Pac-12 is worth paying $35 million per school per year now, but wait till they see that Kyle Whittingham in-game interview, you know? Then they might be changing their mind. Wait till they see, uh, wait till they see Michael Penix Jr. mic'd up, you know? That's going to be, I think you're going to see the ratings skyrocket from there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's just the next step. What if instead of cameras, so we hold an estate sale. We're going to have a Pac-12 estate sale, sell off all of the stuff from uh, the Pac-12 network, all of the cables and cameras and all of that different stuff, the studio furniture, all of that. Well, disperse that among the among the 12 members. And then we'll just have fans hold up their phones. Like, well, that will become the new, like, we'll use some, some Verizon 5G power to telecast, like, remote locations. You'd have... 60,000 different camera angles inside a Husky stadium from where people are holding their phones up. It, it would eliminate a lot of overhead and it would certainly be innovative. Like maybe, maybe that's a hack that could be employed. Yeah. Um, hack is a good word for it. I think, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what though? That's, that's going to be down the road. Something like that'll probably be like the 11th broadcast option for the national championship game. Since there's yeah. already like what six or something. Like you can already watch the, 
the coaches feed the the Homer broadcast for the team Homer a, broadcast the, is by far the best one the Homer broadcast for team B there's one that's just the video I think maybe just like just the camera oh that's so, so fun maybe that's an idea for an, an additional uh they can stash that one on like the Ocho or something down the did, road did they have a Homer feed for TCU in the national championship game they, I, I think so, right? Don't they always do that? <laughs> I, I think so, but I don't. I haven't ever, I haven't ever <laughs> really watched with the silent one after the first. That, quarter. that would have been something to tune to that in like the third quarter and like listen to them trying. Like, have they given up? Are they talking about how great the overall season has been? Like, how do you try to, how do you try to, to, to smile your way through that one? Complaining about the refs. <laughs> they hosed us. There's been. I know it's going to get lost in the shuffle, but there were a couple moments early on that it was the impact that those. It was butterfly effect. Like it was a butterfly effect. One or two plays, you know, couple plays here, couple plays there. Um, I do have a serious question about regarding the announcement. The, I assume it's a press release. Was it a press release somebody sent out about these broadcast initiatives? It was uh, from the Pac-12. Yeah. Why would you do that? Like I'm straight from a legitimate. Why in the world would you send that release out? I don't know. Because it is a layup to any anyone who is going to write about it. Anyone who is going to write about it is going to use it as an opportunity to dunk on you for not having a media rights deal beyond the next year. No one. There is no one who is going to say like, wow, I'm excited to see what this is. It is in any mention of it is going to be entirely in the context of these people don't know what they're doing. I I have no idea why you would invite that sort of abuse. It makes no sense to me why they publicize that. It's kind of an overdue um, addition to their broadcast, right? Like the big 12 announced something like this not real long ago, which again, easy, easy fodder for social media. The big 12 was first kind of thing. But just do it. I'm not saying not to do the actual innovation. Why are you announcing it? Yeah, I mean, I can't a... come up. I cannot come up with. Well, okay, I have one good reason. I have one reason why you would announce it because you employ somebody who's wants to show something that they've done. Like the, the only, either the person who sent out the press release or the person who agreed to the contract wants this to be able to be pointed to of like, see, I did that. The, um. It might be a requirement from ESPN, ESPN and Fox. It might be maybe there's something in there that you know. Hey, if if we if we agree to innovative new broadcast technology, but, you but need that... to send it out as a press release. There is a comment in here from Lee Fitting, the uh, ESPN senior vice president for production. Yeah, and Judy I mean, Boyd. Are they that big a masochist? For, uh, for no, they be sadists, right? Yeah, they be sadists. Are they that big a sadist that we're like, we want you to acknowledge our improvements and humiliate yourself in the process? Couldn't you just go back to him and say, like, dude, we're we're going to do all these things. We're excited about it. Like, can we get on the other side of the whole like having our ourselves mocked publicly for not having a broadcast deal before we announce this? Like, what difference does it make if it's announced now or? on august 15th it actually might make more sense on august 15th because then you're closer to people it this was just an invitation of like i'm gonna lob this ball up and allow you to dunk on my head repeatedly it was i i I don't understand why someone thought this was like it took somebody had to decide to do this it's not like oh I, i wish that wouldn't have come out they were like i'm gonna create the fodder for a joke at my own expense that everybody should have seen coming. Like as soon as the, my first reaction upon seeing that is like, I don't want to hear any of this crap until you get a new TV deal going forward. Wait till they hire the uh, the replacements for the the referees who left for the Big Ten <laughs> and announce that. Maybe they already have. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say like like even that I can understand since it's personnel. But again, who cares? Nobody is going to read a story no, about announcing announce the that. new um, like referees. And think like, oh, this is a good thing. It's going to be another opportunity. Like, just shut up. And maybe that's what's really hard for people. And after 10 years of covering Russell Wilson, I should understand how hard it is for some people to just like, zip, stop talking. Become invisible. Nothing you can say right now is going to make any of this any better. Shut up. Like, that's 
if if I was providing advice to the Pac-12, which I guess I can do, shut up. Don't say anything. Pipe down. There's no reason to announce anything. Uh, there was a column in the Oklahoman yesterday. Did you see this? By no. Barry, uh, is it Trammell or Trammell? He's got a, 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 uh, this is a Big 12 source told me last week that Colorado is ready to commit to joining the Big 12, quote, soon. And I thought, it's plausible. That's a that's a more legitimate report than some of these random Twitter personalities throwing stuff at the wall. Uh-huh. But then um, I saw his tweet of it, and it says, his tweet teasing the column says, will Colorado be the first domino to fall in the Pac-12? One Big 12 coach says yes. So the source is apparently a coach. And that that tamped my intrigue yeah. level down a couple notches because the, the the number of people who actually know what's going on with these things is very limited. And I'm not saying that information can't leak out through the grapevine and, you know, head coaches aren't in position to hear something every now and then. But the fact that it's a coach has me kind of, eh. Okay. This is so this isn't really all that different than kind of all the other speculation. Again, not saying like that means it's not going to happen then, but just oh, okay. That's that's not, you know, when it's just a source, it's a little more mysterious like oh, it could be somebody higher level who's in the, you know, has a seat at the table, but knowing it's a coach is kind of like, yeah, okay. Any coach with actual power and access to that sort of information, I would think would be beyond caring about where Colorado ends up. That's just my assumption, but that might be unfair because maybe Deion Sanders introduction there has created enough waves. And then I was like, I was going through the coaches in my head of like, which big 12 coach actually has sway right now. Like who's the most powerful coach in the big 12. Yeah. Um, is it Gundy? But it's not because he's he's been raked over the coals by his own school. It w- probably would have been Luke Fickle coming in, right? Yeah. But obviously he left. Um, There's um, going to be some news at some point, right? Like some actual official, like this is what's happening. What if yeah. they just never sign a deal and no schools leave? <laughs> and it, it just <laughs> dissolves? We get like Kaiser next, Sose? Next summer. Like poof, they're like, gone. Uh, What's Ian got for us this week? Oh, Ian. Ian has... I I'm, I don't want to steal any of his thunder because it took me a little while to figure out exactly uh, how seriously to take Ian. It's a good one. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm a sales guy. So take my opinion with a grain of salt and, and know that I'm not the most sought-after person for this opinion. But... <laughs> I think I can say comfortably that the greatest setting in college football is the the single most perfect marketing campaign in the history of, I don't know, anything perhaps. Um, it encapsulates everything that Washington is, but it really focuses on that 16 and 17-year-old recruit. I mean, every article on 247 is is talking about how the modern recruit is valuing aesthetics over things like NIL or NFL placement or coaching or anything like that. I mean, I read an article last week from a a guy who I'd never heard of, but, you know, was on the field for his visit at at UW. And he said that there's something special about looking up at the coaches' offices and knowing that somewhere behind those offices is a a mountain range that he can't see. And so I know you guys have been outspoken advocates. Danny, I mean, last week you were were tweeting at Mike Bone in a a frenzy talking about uh, the, the facts that we all know as Husky fans that the greatest setting in college football is not only an older campaign or slogan than than fight on, but also a, a better one and and one that is, is more nationally renowned. 
So I, I the question I'm, I'm pointing at is on a scale of nine to 10, how perfect is the greatest setting in college football as, as a campaign? And how can we hear it more as say <laughs> listeners to the Husky broadcast than 12 or 15 times an hour? I mean, how can we get that to 30, 40, 50 times an hour um, when we're, we're listening to a broadcast? I appreciate your work as always. We'll talk to you soon. That is Ian McFarland. Um, Ian is a huge friend and supporter of the Say Who Say Pod. He also runs uh, IP McFarland. And at first, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether Ian was totally sarcastic. And then about halfway through, I was like, okay, clearly sarcastic. And then <laughs> it I was became like, pretty apparent. Oh, this is really funny. Like this is this is really funny. really funny. Um, I and I wasn't laughing necessarily because I I uh, I vouch for the fairness of of his his opinion one hundred percent. It was just very it was just very funny, high, high comedic value. Um, yeah, I don't know a lot of Husky fans who enjoy the greatest setting thing. And look, the University of Washington has like a great thing going for it with its stadium. Yes, um, it's unique. People who come from out of town who visit there tend to come away very impressed, depending on which game they come for and what the crowd looks like. But it's, you know, the tailgating scene, it's right on the water. You can see the mountains when you're not inside the stadium and they aren't obstructed by the coaches' offices, as, as Ian uh, astutely pointed out. Um, it is unique. And I don't blame the the athletic department for trying to brand around it, but... It's always felt forced. It's not something that anybody uses outside of marketing materials. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe folks who have become a little more indoctrinated that way, maybe they move on, you know, they, they either work at UW or they attend UW and they move on and it's, it's maybe it's been beaten into them in like a very specific way so that they still use it down the road. But I, I think that's, that's negligible. Um, it also just it it came about at a time when they were not nationally competitive and Husky Stadium was not a tremendous home field advantage like it was for a really long time through the Don James era and even into the into the New Heisel era and um you know for a long long time there it was really really hard to to win at Husky Stadium and mm -hmm. i think it's become that way again they went unbeaten there last year um they went unbeaten at least once during the Peterson era, maybe a couple times, at least twice. Come to, or no, no, at least once because they they lost at home to USC in, mm -hmm. in 2016. But um, it's it's always felt a little forced, and it's always felt like, you know, so what what exactly are you laying claim to? What is setting? Is it is it all of it? Is it the water and the mountains and? You know the is it is it the environment? Is it the fact that when it's packed or close to packed that it is really loud in there, and it truly is, and that that it is very difficult to win there when all of those things are 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 coinciding to create this hostile road environment for the visiting team. Um, I don't know. To me, setting just it it's always felt a little passive. Like, what do you what do you? So, is it the hardest place to win in college football? Is it the place that a fan should most enjoy watching a college football game? Is it a stadium that a recruit should most enjoy playing in as their home stadium? It's always felt a little bit nebulous to me. And I, it's also so subjective. And every individual um, can have such a varying opinion onto them what is the greatest setting in college football that a team that was not in any way nationally relevant when they began marketing it that way to me just kind of felt like, well, there's about 20 other programs in the country who could have a good laugh at this. You've been very fair and reasonable Christian. It is a very like sort of well stated sort of survey of the reasons why this might not be the best. I'm going to tell you why I think it's the worst. It is like the neighbor who won't stop bragging about his yard. 
it, it is the neighbor who goes out there and spends a ridiculous amount of time and energy, not just on the work, which I don't object to. Like whatever you enjoy, you enjoy. Like if it is your passion to get out there and, and put Scott's turf builder down three times a year and use an edger to make sure those 90 degree angles at the corners of your lawn that it's geometric, like all the power to you. I don't want to hear about it. And if you constantly talk to me about what you're doing, I know you're bragging. And that's what the greatest setting in college football feels like to me. It feels like my neighbors bragging about their yard. And I think it's embarrassing. If you need to tell people that, if, if you need to lay claim to that, how, how secure are you about yourself? Like that's, I mean, at a, at a basic level. And then there are other things about it's not active. Like it's what you said, setting. It's about here. Like the statement should be active. It should be about moving forward. It should be about what it is here. Like this, it's wistful. It's passive. Like there's all sorts of, I don't think it matters that much. But it bothers me that they spend as much time as they do harping on that because I, I think it's like bragging about a postcard. Um, yeah, it, 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 it annoys the bejesus out of me. Do you remember when they started using it? So I think it's toward the I think it's a I think it, it's definitely after New Husky Stadium. So what is that like 2013, 2014? Well, 2013 was the first, the first year of greatest of the greatest setting um, in college football, the new one. I can't imagine they would have used it. Uh, right. Before they remodeled the it. Still there. But I don't remember that being, I don't remember it being hung on there that first year. To me, it kind of became more... I think maybe it was Peterson's second year when they really started hammering at home. Yeah. That's I'm Jake scrolling Browning's through. I, true freshman I did a Twitter year. search. I did a Twitter search and I'll let you, I'll let you know when I get to the first mention. Um, it, I thought it was strange that they put it on the field a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, I also think it could be one of those things that like 50 years from now, it's just there and it's so ubiquitous that people are like, Oh, how did that get started? Oh, I don't know. And it's just kind of accepted. Like it's one of those, it's one of those things and it had to start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a great place to play. I think would be better than that, but that's just my own personal opinion. Um, I do, do want to point out with, with Ian in getting to know Ian, both through the questions he asks and talking to him, he's a really fascinating dude. Um, he's someone who's a generalist. He's interested in a lot of different things and in understanding sort of what his business is about. It's really about understanding both what a business owner wants, especially as it comes to either expanding or changing the success of their sales, expanding those opportunities, and Ian understanding how to put them in touch with people or even placing people with them that are capable of doing that. It's really not about the nature of the opportunity so much as the idea that's behind it and being able to understand what what you're interested in bringing to market and coming up with creative ways to help you do that, whether it's placing someone within your sales team or connecting and outsourcing sales entirely or white labeling a product that you don't even have to worry about how it gets sold. Uh, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland, ipmcfarland.com. It, it does appear uh, as if 2013 was the, the rebrand. They did the, the retake Montlake campaign because uh, mm -hmm. they'd played the 2012 season, their their home games there at uh, what was still Questfield at the time, right? It was, yeah. Um, or maybe it was CenturyLink. I think uh, it was CenturyLink. Yeah. Anyway, they maybe. they they were moving, you know, moving back onto campus, and not just back onto campus, but back into their their immaculately uh, renovated stadium, more more like remodeled 
stadium and that i think that was when they rolled out greatest setting in college football as an actual like um branding thing my most dominant memory from that year when they played in the seahawks stadium was that i had a fantastic heckle of lane kiffin um (laughs) our seats our seats that year i mean everybody's seats were all jacked up um but our seats that year were kind of i think toward the south end zone does that, yeah, I think, it, no, I'm sorry, toward the north end zone, kind of the, the hawk's nest side of it. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember him coming out and he was wearing like this oversized baggy white, like sweatsuit and a visor. And we had been walking around. So we were actually, I was at a spot where we were kind of looking down as they came out onto the field. And I yelled as loud as I could, Lane! And you saw him kind of look up, and I just screamed, "Dress like an adult!" Um, it was it was one of the better moments that I've had of like getting someone's attention, and and I was like, I was like, "Yeah, he felt that one. He felt that one." <laughs> Didn't USC win that game? Yeah, they did because Washington, and there were there were two like just backbreaking. There was one time they came up to the line. And so I'm trying to think, trying to think who the quarterback was in the game at that point, but there was a wide open receiver. Like the receiver was uncovered. Like SC's defense hadn't, hadn't gotten out, like hadn't spread far enough at the line of scrimmage to account for the widest guy. And you're like, just snap it. Like they were at the five, just snap the ball and throw it to him. And they didn't. And then ended up, I think, getting stuffed. But that was, I was going crazy because Sark had such an insistence on, like, he wouldn't, wouldn't let him play at tempo at all. That was also the year, that was the year they beat Stanford and I think had the game day champion t-shirts. <laughs> it was, yeah. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, I beat do. Beat Stanford on like a Thursday night game and made t-shirts over it. God, that was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I remember that game because I was covering Wazoo at the time and I was actually, I, I was listening to it on the radio driving, uh, driving from Pullman to Seattle because Wazoo was playing, I think Oregon the next day at CenturyLink. So there were games on either back to back days or like Friday, Saturday, something like that. Um, <laughs> game day, champ- game day, champions. game day that's all- champions. That's an all timer. That's like, oh. I've thought, I've thought before about, writing like a um like a UW like fan encyclopedia or like uh you know kind of a kind of a a list of deep cut things where like hey these are you know if you follow the program closely you don't these these items require no further explanation that would definitely be on the list the game day champion there are some things that I will be mad about when I die and I think that's one of them I'm I'm probably never going to get over that You have any um good airplane audio for us this week? I I, I do. I have one. Let's. Sh- do you want to start with a classic, or do you want to start with the new one I found for today? I uh, dealer's choice here. Okay, here's going to be the challenge. You're going to have to decide what state this took place in. What state did this take place in? Twelve year old is completely out of control, and I I can't. I physically, if she's as big as I am, I can't control her. Okay. Did you want us to come over to shoot her? Can you play that one more time? It's a 9-11 call. You have to listen to the dispatcher's response at the end. The 12-year-old is completely out of control, and I, I can't, I physically, if she's as big as I am, I can't control her. Okay, did you want us to come over to shoot her? She's not talking about a person, is she? I don't know. I did no research on this one. I just thought it was funny as hell. <laughs> oh, um... I mean, those are Southern accents, so that narrows it down a little bit. The two craziest states in our country. Well, two of the three craziest. Florida, Alaska, and Texas. Texas. The answer is always Texas. That's the sort of thing that'll happen in Texas, kind of like this. Listen, based on $2,000 of my money, put me on that flight, now I'm not on that flight. Okay, cool. How the f- do I get to Longview? I don't know. I'm not even in Longview. Okay, hey, if I spent $2,000 for a flight, round trip, 
from one year to back for adventure back to Warby. Why the f am I not on a flight back to Warby? Quig the Q U I G L E Y. Put me on my keep that guy away from the liquor bar <laughs> he needs you know what he That's... needs a personal he needs a personal bridge I, like the squirrels yeah, have I, I would say this though quigley's defense Probably sounds very similar to the child who was bitten by the monkey. <laughs> if you don't want me to see the monkey, then why do you have the monkey in the backyard? <laughs> do you have a problem with that? <laughs> I mean, it's sound logic. I still think I still think that's sound logic. Oh. Like, do you, you're going to criticize my margarita consumption when you have a perfectly functional <laughs> liquor bar liquor in bar. your airport? <laughs> Who are you? You got a problem with that? Of course I'm human. I'm going to drink. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you just expect me to not have three margaritas? <laughs> well, uh, stay away from any stray monkeys, folks. That's right, and also don't never call, n never use uh, consult with Texas nine one one operators when it comes to controlling delinquent children. It's Memorial Day weekend. You may encounter a liquor bar or two. Um, if 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 you happen to fuel up on margaritas at one of those, you know, maybe 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 don't use it as a precursor to scream at a airline employee. <laughs>